Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Welcome, Monsignor. We are in show number 53. 53. Well, we're moving right along with this. We are moving along. It's been a great fun for me, and I know I have talked to many, many people, and they're enjoying it as much as I think we are. Well, I certainly am. And uh, next time around, we will introduce a new character that we'll hear a lot about for a long time, and that's none other than Peter Richard Kenrick. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely in St. Louis a name that we know, and outside of St. Louis, you're going to get to know him and as much as, love him as much as we do, right? That's right. right. And then, on the other hand, the people of Philadelphia already know the Kenrick name because his brother was bishop there for many years, and also Baltimore, because he was uh, transferred to Baltimore, the Archbishop of Baltimore, too. So the Kenricks had quite a an influence in the development of uh, Catholic uh, history here in the United States. Okay, so yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a big name in, in, some, big name in, in some big places. Yes, and then there were an awful lot of St. Louis priests who became founding bishops of dioceses. We'll talk a little bit about those later on. It's still happening. <laughs> it's, yeah, it really is, yeah. We do send a lot of our priests to be bishops in other places. Yeah, we do, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think last time around we talked about the St. Louis Synod, which gave us an idea yes. of how St. Louis had grown over the 13 years that Bishop Rosati was here. He now prepares to leave St. Louis to go to Baltimore for the fourth provincial council which was called for May 17th of 1840. And before he went on that, he had a a year to prepare for this. He decided to make a a grand tour of his diocese, which is going to be very helpful because the number of confirmations are just quite incredible. And this is going to say something about the growth of the church here. He's going to use his trip to Baltimore as a springboard for a trip to Europe. Looking forward to a baking tour. Added to that, he has reports to give to Rome. The ad limitum visit is going to take place at this time. He's also going to take a little bit of R&R and visit home. He hasn't seen home in about 15, 16 years. Wow. And so this is a big time for him. So he's really now preparing for all of that. So he left St. Louis on May 7th of 1839 and traveled to Kaskaskia. And while he was there, he visited with the visitation nuns, which he had invited, and they had established a visitation academy there. He confirms 26 people uh, at uh, Kaskaskia, and then also helped to assist the parish in determining the construction of their new church. Okay. Uh, This is an era when those log churches are coming down and uh, brick churches are coming up. And so Kaskaskia is looking at building its church. So he does that, and then he returns back to St. Louis by way of Prairie de Roche and in Kaskaskia. And he arrives back in St. Louis in time for Pentecost, And at the cathedral, he will give First Communion to 114 children. And then many others are going to be confirmed at that same time. The next day, he's going to travel to the Sacred Heart Convent, where he'll confirm 12 girls. And then he goes to Florissant and has more confirmations there. Then he goes south to Crondelet. He visits Carondelet and then goes to St. Louis University, where he's going to confirm another 22 college students there. 
So it shows a tremendous growth of the faith church. Is that, definitely growing. Yes, it is, and that many confirmations—that's quite quite something. The next week, he's going to travel on the east side, visiting his part of the diocese that's on the east side of the Mississippi River. So he'll be stopping off at Cahokia, Waterloo, back to Prairie de Roche, and then the Kaskaskia, and finally he crosses over the river, uh, back over to the west, goes to Perryville. St. Mary's of the Barons, and there he's going to ordain two priests and, and another two transitional deacons. And while he's there, he gathers information and, uh, and writings with his intention of writing a biography of Father F- Felix D'Andres, oh, okay. his dear friend who was instrumental in him coming to St. Louis. Bishop Rosati believed, and many others that were contemporaries believed, that Father D'Andreas was a saint, a living saint. Probably that biography would have been instrumental in his cause. But of course, as it turns out, Bishop Rosati never had a chance to write that biography. Well, he then goes down to Apple Creek. He confirms 14 in Apple Creek. That's, That's a lot for a small town like that. And he also notes in his diary that there have been 35 German families that have moved into that parish in, in recent times. Yeah. He then goes on to Fredericktown, where he confirms another 22, goes back to Cape Girardeau, and consecrates a new church there, St. Vincent. Then he goes to St. Genevieve, visits there for a little while. And goes back to St. Louis by way of Kaskaskia. So he's... Um, that's been busy. That's a busy time. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. So you think he would have been worn out by now. I would think so. But he's now getting himself ready to go to Baltimore uh, for, for that trip there. Uh, one of the things he wants to do before he leaves for Baltimore is he wants to, uh, knowing that he's going to be in Europe, he's going to be, this is going to take him away for a year or two years. He's he wants to be able to recommend to the Pope a coadjutor, oh, uh-huh. a, a, a bishop that he can work with and who will someday uh, replace him. And so while he's in uh, Perryville, he meets with Father Timon, who is now the rector of St. Mary's Seminary, and he asks him if he would do this. And Father Timon said no. Oh. <laughs> and in no uncertain terms, no. It, it was a shock. Bishop Rosati just assumed he would say yes. And, you know, I mean, he said yes. <laughs> right. And, uh, but he was very disappointed in that and didn't know quite what to do about it. But he found out later on that the Vincentians had decided that they, they were not going to have any more bishops in America. Their men were not going to be made bishops. They had their own particular apostolic work to do, okay. and that was going to be in seminary preparation. They saw that that was the most important thing they could do. And to have their best leaders taken to become bishops would take them away from that prime mission. I see. Uh-huh. And that's that's exactly That was what, why he right. said no. And, okay. and, of course, at the time... The team wasn't at liberty to, to explain say. that. You know? uh, I see. Uh-huh. Uh, Brizzotti will find out later on why that happened. Well, he leaves, goes back over to the east side, and continues another Illinois tour. Okay. And so he's going to be visiting. He visits Springfield, which, of course, is the capital of Illinois today. But it was just a little village with a dozen or so log cabins at the time. Goes to Peoria. Now, remember, that Peoria has, has been the scene of a lot of French stuff for a long time, but there's not even a church there. There was nothing there, uh, you know, some Catholics, but that was about it. 
then continued on to Kickapoo, LaSalle, Ottawa, Pekin, Bunker Hill, Carlinville. And by October 19th, he's back in St. Louis, probably needing a little rest and relaxation himself. You'd think so, because, I mean, we have to consider the you know, travel then was not oh, travel now. And no. even still, it would be a lot a lot to go yeah. do all that. But Yeah, but he's basically horse and, and stagecoach and things of that nature. Uh, some stuff on the river, but yeah, uh-huh. yeah, really kind of rough. Well, he gets back to St. Louis, and he's got some work to do because there are two Indians that are visiting from the Oregon Territory. And when they found out the bishop was coming back to St. Louis, they wanted to be confirmed also. Wow. So he had a confirmation for them. He then took a little time off, went down to Louisville, Kentucky, and visited with Bishop Flaget. And then on December 8th of 1839, he has a meeting with a group of laymen, and I'll talk about this much in greater depth later on. But they have brought to him the idea of setting up a society of laymen who would directly help the poor. There was a fellow, this was the son of John Malamphy, the richest man in St. Louis, Brian Malamphy, who had gone to Paris. And while he was there, he met this man by the name of Friedrich Ozanon (laughs) and was inspired by this group called the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And so they presented this to Bishop Rosati. And he said, yes, let's let's do this. And so the very first organization of the St. Vincent de Paul Society in the United States was held here in St. Louis. In Paris, it had been started in 1833. And so we're going to see that it's going to be started here in St. Louis just at the last days of 1839. So it had started in 1833 in, in France. Paris, yeah. And this is just 1839. That's not too long not, for not too long starting that up here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bishop Rosati takes with him two priests that travel to Baltimore with him and then to Europe also. And these are Father Lutz, who is a, a German-speaking priest, who has done great work at the cathedral, making the Germans in St. Louis feel welcome. And then also another priest, Father Lefebvre. So the two of them prepare to leave. But before he left, I don't know if he had a premonition or what, but Bishop Rosati sat down and wrote his last will and testament. And he gave it to the Jesuit Father Verhagen as his executor. So they traveled to the east, went to Baltimore, and attended the fourth provincial council. All of the notes and the decrees out of the council were, were written up, and they were eventually delivered to Bishop Rosati because everyone knew he was going to Europe. And so one of his duties was to take the decree over to Propaganda Fide and to let them know what's going on in the, in the council. So with that, he leaves Baltimore, takes a trip to Georgetown, which can be covered in a day by stagecoach. So he visits uh, in Georgetown, particularly the Jesuits, of course, and then from there goes on the next day to Philadelphia. And he is a guest of the Bishop of Philadelphia. This is Francis Patrick Kenrick. And while he was there, he had an opportunity to once again reacquaint himself with Francis Patrick Kenrick's younger brother, Peter Richard, who was acting as the vicar general for the diocese. Bishop Rosati, in his diary, writes the following about this young priest. And he says that he is admiring more and more his piety, his knowledge, and modesty, and his other virtues. 
I was inspired with the desire to obtain him from the Holy Father as my coadjutor. <laughs> so he puts this in the back of his head. I don't even know if he talked to the Kenrick brothers about this, but in the back of his mind, when he has an opportunity to talk to the Pope, he's going to ask him for Kenrick as his coadjutor. Well, from Philadelphia, Bishop Rosati and his two priests then went to New York, and there they boarded a ship for Europe. Now, remember that this would be the first time that Bishop Rosati has been on the high seas since he came to America. It, it did not set well. He was sick the whole time oh. uh, going over. And so they tried to make him as comfortable as he could be, but uh -huh. it, was, it was not a pleasant experience. Lands in France, visits the, the Vincentians in Paris at their mother house. And then from there, he went on to Rome where he presented the conditions of his diocese, the report on his diocese, to Propaganda Fide. And then for the next several days, actually for the next several weeks, they were filled with meetings and with celebrations. And one of the things that he was so excited about was that the residence he stayed at in Rome was at the Montecitorio. It's the Vincentian residence where he first met Bishop de Borg, oh, those many years before. Oh, wow. And he had a lot of fond memories of uh, Montecitorio anyway. Think about it. That was 25 years earlier. Wow. Yeah. A lot of water under that bridge. 25 years, yeah. The change in 25 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah incredible growth. Well, he then went on to meet with Cardinal Fransoni, who was the prefect of Propaganda Fide. And that's when he delivered to him the decrees from the Baltimore Consul. And then on September 15th, Bishop Rosati had a private audience with several other Vincentians with the Pope. This was Pope Gregory the, the 16th. And they met at Castle Gandolfo. Interesting meeting because when the meeting was over, the Pope asked Bishop Rosati to stay. And they talked for almost two hours wow. ago, alone, just the two of them. And uh, the Pope was very impressed with, with him and would ask him to come back again. Well, what happened was after that meeting, then Bishop Rosati took off for his hometown of Soro. <laughs> his parents, of course, had been dead for many years, but his brother was still alive and other relatives. And so it was a great reunion. <laughs> um, they hadn't seen each other for over 25 years, you know. And, and so while all of that was happening, Father Lutz left and he went down to Naples because this just happened to be at the same time of the Feast of St. Januarius. Wow. And he was, um, uh, he was able to attend the liquefaction of the blood of St. Januarius, which happens on his feast day, not every year, but often. And he was able to witness that. <laughs> that was just last week, I believe. Yes, that that's was, why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then after that, they all returned back to Rome and again with further meetings at, with Propaganda Fide and then another meeting with the Pope. And in this meeting... Pope Gregory and, and Bishop Rosati were talking about a number of things, the conditions in America, and it became obvious that the Pope Gregory was specifically interested in one 
problem happening in America, and that was the treatment of African Americans. Mm, okay. Because things had gotten worse. And we'll see a little bit later on as we're looking at St. Louis and especially Missouri history that blacks in America had a difficult way to go. I mean, many of them, mm-hmm. the vast majority of them were slaves, but many of them were free. And yes. some had earned their freedom and gotten their freedom of different ways. And, uh, and But now there were more and more restrictive laws, even on free blacks. And so the Pope was very concerned about this. You know, this is the Pope who had written an encyclical specifically condemning slave trade. Right. You know, this is also a Pope who had censured some American bishops who had either spoken up are written about supporting slavery. In fact, one, Bishop Vero, wrote a book that was put on the index of forbidden books. He definitely has an interest in, in this. It's the conversation. Pope Gregory asked Bishop Rosati if he would do something very special for the papacy. And that had to do with the country of Haiti. What had happened was there had been a revolution in Haiti. We might remember back that that's why we ended up with the Louisiana Purchase, because the French sent an army down to Hispanola in order to use that as a jumping off point yes. to retake over, remember, the Louisiana yeah, Territory. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And, of course, they were defeated by a former slave, Toussaint Louverture, mm-hmm. and his his band of guerrillas called the Maroons. And, um, and with that, the French left, and the eastern half... I mean, the western half of the island becomes then the country of Haiti, but it's extremely poor mm-hmm. and saddled with debt and uh, terrible things going on. Louverture himself was coaxed by the French into negotiations, and instead they captured him, they brought him to Paris, and he died in a Paris prison. R- really horrible thing that, yeah. uh, that they did. But the end result is that the government in Haiti was a mess, and for some reason or another, it decided to turn itself against the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And so it, it tried to control the church in, in all aspects, including the naming of bishops. And so the Vatican and Haiti, uh, Port-au-Prince, had been at odds with each other for several years. They had sent a delegate down to Haiti to negotiate a a concordat between the government and the church. And unfortunately, this was uh, Bishop John England of Charleston. Um, If you you know anything about him, he was a pretty intense individual, but he was not very good at negotiating. And so uh, everything fell apart. And so now Pope Gregory XVI is asking Bishop Rosati to go down himself to take on the role of delegate apostolic and to negotiate a concordat. Well, this was the moment Bishop Rosati was waiting for. So when he said yes, he said, I'll be happy to do this, but I'm very concerned for my diocese because it sounds like I'll be away for a couple years. And the Pope goes, oh yeah, you'll be away for a couple years. And he said, can I have a coadjutor? <laughs> and the Pope says, oh, sure, yeah, who are you thinking about? Peter Richard Kenrick. Oh, sure, no problem. And so with that, uh, Peter Richard Kenrick was named the coadjutor of St. Louis. Bishop Rosati now comes back to the United States okay, in the fall of 1841 and arrives in New York 
And then on November 30th, he consecrates Bishop Peter Richard Kenrick as a coadjutor, bishop and coadjutor of St. Louis. Um, he is assisted by two other bishops. One of those is the Bishop Kenrick's brother, brother, Francis Patrick Kenrick, and the other was his traveling companion, Father Lefebvre, who had just been named the Bishop of Detroit. Okay. Okay. So we're going to start seeing St. Louisans being used as bishops of other dioceses. This is one of those first. So Peter Richard Kenrick then packs up and begins moving to St. Louis. And while he's doing that, Bishop Rosati then takes a ship down to Haiti to Port-au-Prince, where he meets with President Boyer and members of his government, and they begin the long negotiations about the relationship between church and state. The big question is the Haitian government insisted on naming the bishops, and uh, they would allow the Vatican to confirm them and to consecrate them, but they would name them. And so this is going to be a contentious issue. Right. And ultimately, Bishop Rosati convinces them that they should be able to present a, a slate of candidates, but that Rome would choose and then consecrate the, the bishop. Okay. And the Haitians go along with that. So they sign this concordat, and now it has to be signed by Rome. Uh-huh. And so Bishop Rosati waits around until there's a ship that's going to Europe, and it turns out that a French warship is visiting in Port-au-Prince in April of 1842, and so now he's able to go to Rome. Uh, so, you know, some of this travel stuff is you got to sitting around a long time. Just, just to, waiting for the, yeah. the opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he arrives in Rome, hands the Concordat to the Secretary of State. They read over it carefully, and their recommendation to the Pope is don't accept it. It's oh. not good enough. When this is reasonable, the Vatican wants to have a say in that list who of candidates. The, who the list on the slate yeah, is, right. It, it makes sense. Absolutely. Bishop Rosati said, look, all I'm trying to do is get some bishops down there. You know, he said, I'm, I'm bleeding trying to get this. Yeah, yeah. And, and his, his concern also was that the priests in Haiti, because they had not had a bishop, and that the priesthood itself was beginning to deteriorate with not enough priests. And so he just wanted to get a bishop Mm -hmm. on on the scene. So that was his reasoning, but it wasn't good enough. (laughs) And and so uh, the Vatican sent him back to Haiti, uh, renegotiate this. Before he left, the the Vatican said, oh, by the way, I've got another job for you to do. Before you go... There's a dispute going on within the Vincentian order itself, within the congregation of the mission. Italian Vincentians wanted the mother house to be moved to Rome, away from Paris. They felt that the Parisians were having too much influence over the congregation. The French, of course, wanted to keep it in Paris. And so the two of them met with Bishop Rosati. In the end, they came to a compromise. The mother house would stay in Paris, but the leadership of the Vincentians would pay more attention to the needs of the Italians. So it worked out. Now Bishop Rosati was about ready to leave. He comes across 
Uh, no, he's lost one of his traveling companions, of course. He's lost Lefebvre. Yeah, because he's now and, Bishop of Detroit, right? Yeah, and I don't remember what happened to Father Lutz, Lutz either, but he comes across another priest who is a fascinating individual we'll talk about later on. His name is Father Joseph Melker, and the long and short of it is that Father Melker receives permission from his bishop to join Bishop Rosati to eventually go to St. Louis and serve as a priest there. He is going to be an incredible priest for this diocese. And in the end, he'll also be the founding bishop of Green Bay. But I'll save that for another day. As they travel off to Paris, Bishop Rosati becomes very ill. This is in April of 1843. It turns out that He's not able to continue his journey, so he sends Father Melker on to the United States and on to St. Louis. He recuperates a bit in Paris and then makes his way back to Rome with the intention of having an extended rest. Instead, on September 25th, 1843, Bishop Rosati died at the age of 54. Wow. Yeah. 54. 54. Wow, he's done a lot. Yeah, really. 54. So did he die? Did, had he made it to Rome or is he still in Paris? No, he's in Rome. He's, oh, he's in Rome. Okay. He's in Rome. Yeah. Okay. He's buried at Montecitorio. Oh, he is. You know, and there his body's going to remain until much later when it's transferred back then to St. Louis. And I believe it's around 1970. His bones are going to be buried in the old cathedral in the, uh, the crypt below the main altar, and there he remains today. Let's turn our attention to Bishop Kenrick. Uh, next time around, we'll talk about his first couple years as coadjutor and then eventually becoming then the ordinary of St. Louis. Okay. Thank you so much. We are I'm short on time, so okay. let's close quickly with the prayer and blessing. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.